Well, today we're going to be talking about the impossible. Uh, there's lots of things that we would call impossible. Um, it's impossible to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. Um, it's impossible to, uh, to lift this building uh, off of its foundation uh, just by the word of, 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 a, of your voice. It's, there's impossible things, but uh, I think today we're going to be talking about lots of different impossible things. Um, Oftentimes, for me, the impossible is sharing the gospel with people, um, because there have been so many people that I, I would look at them and I'd say, it's impossible. They've just chosen their own path. They're never going to surrender their lives to God. Um, they're never going to get out of addiction. They're never going to get out of struggle. And yet, when I look backwards, I'm like, look at all the things that were impossible that have happened now. And it gives me joy, and it gives me confidence, and it gives me faith. Um, my dad was impossible. There was no way that he was going to come to faith. It was impossible. And uh, yet, my dad surrendered his life to Jesus. He called me on the phone to let me know. I bet some people would have said that you were impossible at one point. Yeah. Um, I know that they said that it was impossible that I would become a believer. And uh, there are some people who, when I became a believer, still said it was impossible, <laughs> which was, you know, nice. Um, there are people that I feel that God has called me to, to share the gospel with them. Um, sometimes they live in the streets. Sometimes they're perpetually drunk or high. And I think it's impossible. This is impossible. Some people have even cited the Bible to me and said, hey, the Bible says don't throw pearls before swine. And I'm just like, but what if I was that swine? <laughs> and yet God, uh, God saved me. Um, for some, uh, it seems impossible that we would have reconciliation in this country. It just feels so divided. We're just, we're just getting, the, the cavern is getting larger between us. Um, and yet there is only one who can bridge that cavern. Um, only one who can bridge that gap. For many of you today, uh, you may feel like peace is impossible, like freedom is impossible, that even just hope is impossible. And I am here today to tell you that there, there is a possibility, um, and it is found in God. So today we're continuing our sporadic series called Origins, and it's the Bible Jesus read. Um, it's kind of our, our series that we do in between our different series. Um, and we do this because uh, I think that I have a penchant to, to read the New Testament, uh, to preach on the New Testament more, because I like to. I just like it. And I think that if we don't go back in our history, the history of our faith, where we came from, um, then we will, uh, we will miss out on some great things. And we will miss out on Jesus' faith. We'll miss out on uh, the Bible Jesus read um, and Jesus studied. So uh, that's why we're in Origins today. Um, so we just finished last week in Revelation, the end. Today we're going to be in Genesis 18. That's right towards the beginning of your Bibles. Genesis 18, 1 through 15. And then I'll also be reading just a little bit from Genesis 21 um, because things get spaced out a little bit and I want to make sure that we kind of close the story up um, well. So... Genesis 18, 1 through 15. There's Bibles available in the back. If you are an auditory learner, you just want to listen, that's cool. Check, your, check my work later. Make sure that I preach from the Bible. Um, I'm a visual learner. I have to see it in front of me. So let me read to you. This is a little bit long. Uh, so, yep, strap in. So, the Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent 
during the heat of the day. He looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree. I'll bring a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later you can continue on. Yes, they replied. Do as you've said. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of flour and make bread. Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender, choice calf. He gave it to a young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk, as well as the calf that he had prepared, and set that before the men. He served them as they ate under the tree. Where's your wife Sarah, they asked. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said, I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time, and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him. Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I have delight? Um, it's interesting because uh, if you know the Greek here, uh, when she's saying, I will have delight, she's like an old lady, and she's saying, will I have delight with my husband? If you do the word study there, it says a little more than maybe what uh, you might think. But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, no, you laughed. <laughs> Moving on to Genesis 21, um, 1 through 7. I can just read this to you if you want, or you can find it. The Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him. Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah bore to him, Isaac. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son for him in his old age? This is God's word. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you don't just kind of treat us like idiots, um, that you look upon us in our ignorance and in our arrogance and in our overconfidence, and you just have mercy on us. Um, sometimes I think we come to you saying we already know everything, and God, I just ask that you would, you would teach us even in our arrogance. God, you see us in our brokenness, our hopelessness, our fear, and you still have mercy on us, despite our cleverness, our ingenuity. It is abundantly clear how much we need you. Father, today we ask that you might ignite a fire in our hearts, not that we would try harder, but that we might allow you to do a new thing in us. God of the impossible, we praise you this morning. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, I'm going to give you three points from a special visit to Abraham. And my first point for you today is, a heart for the Lord leads to hospitality. Now, don't shut down and decide you know what that means. Let me unpack it just a little bit for you, okay? Um, so the Lord appeared to Abraham at the oaks, and he's sitting there at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up, he saw three men. When he saw them, he ran, and he said, my Lord, come hang out with us. Just, uh, you're, you look tired. Let me just, let me hook you up. Let me wash your feet, wash your, wash your car, you know. 
Um, let a little water be brought so you may wash your feet. That's what it says. I'll bring a bit of bread, and it's not a bit, by the way. It's a ton of bread that he made, or his wife did. Um, and I will bring a bit of bread, and this is why you have passed your servant's way. Later you can move on, but come on, find some rest. Be here with me. Um, the thing is, is Abraham treats the stranger the way you would expect a man of God to treat a stranger. Um, this hospitality that Abraham shows these strangers, um, it is God-birthed hospitality. Now, the scholars I read on this passage are absolutely divided on this one. Um, because uh, some think that maybe he knew something was up, like he knew this was God, and a lot of them think he had no idea. Um, I am on the side that I'm not sure he really knew what was going on, but I think he felt something special. Um, and uh, it would have been polite to call someone my lord, especially someone who comes rolling up. I'm guessing they, they looked royal or something was special about them. Um, but there's nothing that identifies them as God right away. And the, the first time we get a sense that they might be God, uh, just from the narrative, not from the, not from the narrator, is that uh, he, he knows Sarah. He knows the name of Sarah. Like, why would he know that? Why would he be out there in the middle of nowhere and suddenly say, hey, uh, Sarah, what's, what's her deal? Like, I, I mean, I think that something in Abraham would have stirred and said, okay, something's going on here. Abraham had met with God in the past already, so he would have probably had a keen interest in who these strangers were. They seem to show deference to the visitors, um, but they really look to one visitor in particular, if you look at the story. There's one particular person there. So if I was going to tell you what I think it is, I think that we have uh, something that the Old Testament refers to as the angel of God, the angel of God, kind of like people say the Ohio State University, like there's one. Um, Now, my wife just did the Ohio State thing. Um, But uh, the angel of God in the Old Testament, you'll see him. So we have that story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go into the fire and there's some dude walking in there and they they describe him once again as the angel of God. what we would believe this to be is the pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, that's what I, I believe he is, okay? So that's like Jesus before he became man on earth. Um, or you could even call him a, a post-incarnate Jesus because he exists outside of time. Does that blow your mind? I don't know. Um, but that's who we believe this is, with two angels most likely, okay? Based on what we'll see later and I'll talk about next week. But he washed their feet He used the finest flour, and he slaughtered a calf. He stood while they ate. Um, They ate, and he stood by and watched. Um, There's something about that hospitality. By the way, that's what my grandma did, and it drove me crazy. Um, I don't know if you guys do that. I kind of feel like there's a few people in here that might do that. Um, When you're cooking for someone, and they start eating, and you're still moving around, don't do that. Just come sit with me. It drives me crazy. Um, But he was showing true hospitality. He was showing that they were important. And um, the fact is, is that at that point, they're strangers. And he's showing hospitality to strangers. Now, Henry Nouwen, uh, the monk, says this, if there is any concept worth restoring to its original depth and evocative potential, it is the concept of hospitality. Philip Haley says this, the opposite of cruelty is not simply freedom from the cruel relationship, it is hospitality. So what is this biblical idea of hospitality versus maybe, maybe our American version of hospitality? The big difference is the emphasis. Um, when we are practicing American hospitality, the emphasis is on the host. How nice can I make my house? How much can I impress the people around me? How much will they be impressed with what I'm serving them? 
all these things, which all of us fall victim to this. Biblical hospitality, the emphasis goes on the guest. That's the difference. And so we see Abraham showing hospitality out of his love of God. He is showing hospitality to the visitor. When the emphasis is on the visitor, we say, how can I make them feel comfortable? How can I make them feel loved? When the emphasis is on the host, we say, I'm worried about being clean enough. Is my house nice enough for them? Will they be impressed with me? Hebrews 13, 1 through 3 says this, Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them, and the mistreated as though you yourselves were suffering bodily. So we have this idea that when we entertain guests, we entertain strangers, and we entertain those who are hurting, uh, we are practicing biblical hospitality, but we may be serving angels. And in the same way, I think we're serving God. When we serve the least, we are showing hospitality to God himself. True Christian hospitality is not just for the people we know, though. Like, clearly here we see it's the stranger, the sojourner. Um, some, some translations call this the alien. Um, so uh, whatever your, uh, your beliefs are on that, like, that's going to mean someone who maybe not, doesn't even have uh, citizenship in the country, showing the stranger peace and kindness. Leviticus 19:33 through 34 takes this further. When an alien resides with you in your land, you must not oppress him. You will regard the alien who resides with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Ooh, hospitality to people who um, you may not even agree with. You may not even think should be legally in this country. I'm probably pushing it, but I'm just going to keep going because that's the Bible. I just read it straight up. So you can argue with that. but You can argue with me, but try and argue with that. It's the Bible. Pastor Brad Briscoe says this. He says, to welcome the stranger is to welcome Christ. So it was hot for Abraham, right? Like the dude probably just wanted to like sit in his tent and fan himself. And like he probably, I don't even know what his tent was like, but anything to get out of the heat. It says it was the heat of the day. That means he wanted to be inside, under shade, drinking water, doing whatever it takes to stay cool. But instead, he ran out. He ran out to show true biblical hospitality. The fact is, is we're always going to be challenged to take care of ourselves. Like, it's just easier, right? It's just easier to take care of yourself. It's easier to take care of you and yours. I would say it's, if you have your own children and you take care of them, that's not hospitality. That's an expectation. But someone who is a foreigner, someone who is struggling, someone who's hurting, to show them hospitality, that is biblical hospitality, and that is in line with what Abraham has done here. So, I think I made my point there. After receiving God himself, Abraham receives some interesting news. And that's where we get our second point, which is God can accomplish what we cannot imagine. Verse 13, But the Lord asked Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year she will have a son. So God goes beyond what our baby minds can take in. The place where I think about this um, is actually in Exodus 3. I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you today. I just feel like at times when I just throw you all my life and stuff like that, like I would rather show you some things in the Bible that back up my points. So in Exodus 3, many of us know this story, 
Moses um, has to take off his sandal because there's a burning bush that's not being consumed, right? Moses has fled from Egypt because he did something really dumb and he killed a guy. Um, and God seems to always use the biggest freaks. And Moses is one of them. And, and God goes to him and, and he says, I'm paraphrasing uh, Exodus 3. He says, I have seen the suffering of my people in Egypt. I want to save them, Moses. Um, they've been oppressed terribly. I want to save them. And Moses says, uh, yeah, cool, uh, cool. Um, thanks for letting me know. I got a thing. I'm just going to go. Like, I, I can't do that, so I'm just going to go. Like, and God says, um, no, Moses, like, I'm going to use you. Like, I will be with you, and I will use you. And, and Moses says, ah, oh, yeah, is that Thursday? I don't, I got I to gotta think Thursday, got to pick up my kids, badminton practice. There's not going to, that's not going to work for me. Have you seen Pharaoh? Like, he's super scary, okay? Like, I don't, I, he's scary. I, I know what he does to people. I lived in his household. He took people out that disagreed with him. I, I'm not doing that. And God says, uh, tell them that the great I am sent you, like the one who has always existed. I'm going to teach you all these miracles so you can do them, and he's going to listen to you. Put your hand in your coat. I can change your hand from leprous and back again. Leprous, regular. Leprous, regular. Leprous, regular. I would have done that for hours. Put your hand in your coat. Yeah, and then he says, check out your cane. That cane you've been walking around? Like, I could turn that into a freaky snake, Moses. I will be with you. I will do that. Moses, just trust that I can do crazy stuff. Now here I'm going to actually read you the Bible, Exodus 4, 10 through 12. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. He's like, dude, like I can't even speak to this guy who's going to try and kill me. Like You're sending the wrong guy. But the Lord says to him, Who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf? Deaf, seeing or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. The Lord is saying to Moses, like, just try me. Just try me, and don't, and don't see what's in front of you, but see what I can do. So eventually, Moses goes, right? And we know what happens, and we know what comes of that. This applies to us, though, too. There are people who think this multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-socioeconomic status-level church is impossible. Um, and having walked through it, I, I do think it's probably impossible, right? Like, on our own. It's just impossible. It's hard. We all have preferences. We all have different needs. We speak different languages. We do all this different stuff. But if God has called us to it, then I believe he's asked us to try him. Because this might not work without God, but those things that are impossible without God are possible with God. In his book, uh, One Blood, I got it right here. We got a few of them if you want to get one from the bookstore. Uh, it's not a plug if we lose money on the book, right? Um, Christian civil rights activist John Perkins from Mississippi, he says this about ethnic reconciliation in our country. Because churches almost feel like this is impossible. He says this. He says, he says we serve a mountain-moving God it will take nothing less than his mountain-moving power to bring us together as one. We must ask him, believer, that he can accomplish this great task. I've heard it said that we should regularly pray prayers that are so big that only God could accomplish them. I believe that. We shouldn't be afraid to ask God to do the impossible because we know his record. 
He's not afraid of the impossible from opening the Red Sea to raising Lazarus from the dead. All impossible deeds. But he did it. And he can make us one together. He can turn our hearts to one another. He can do it. So some of you, you may not have been able to imagine being a believer. You might not even be able to imagine it now. But God can do the impossible with you. Some of you could not imagine being saved by God, but God can do the impossible. With all your sin, with all your struggle, God can save you, and he will save you, I believe. Some of you are impossible situations. Some of you feel uh, just totally defeated by addiction or struggle or your past, and the Lord is telling you, try me. The entire Old Testament in the Bible is about how you could never live up to God's standards. It made hope impossible in many ways. And God said, try me. When we look at the Old Testament, it's full of rules. It's full of rules. And a a lot of people looked at that and said, you know what, I'm just going to try to live out the impossible by just sheer grit and determination. And yet the Old Testament is full of rules to show us that we can't. The Old Testament shows us that it's impossible. We cannot do this without God. And that's where the gospel comes in. Because we had an impossible relationship with God where he desired for us to be perfect, he had to do something about it. And he sent his son to this earth so, we might, um, so he might live a perfect life as a sacrifice for us. For us who just constantly badmouth him, right? Like, as a kid, I was saying GD from like age four. Like, I didn't know that I was bad-mouthing God. I didn't know that I was hurting his heart when I stole from my parents. I didn't know that when I treated women poorly that I was hurting him. And if you look at the Old Testament, he'll tell you all the things you're doing wrong. But when Jesus came to this earth, he came on our behalf. He came to bridge the gap. He looked at us and he said, hey, you're not well, but I can help. And so Jesus offered himself as our sacrifice. And on the third day, he rose again when he, after he died on the cross. And so all the things that were impossible, now when we look back through the cross, they are possible. The position that you're in that feels impossible, when you look through the cross, there's possibility. And I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. I'm not saying that even some things will get better, but it's possible that you might have joy still in the midst of those things. So, If this is you, you only need to ask God for forgiveness, to turn from your sin and to make him Lord of your life. And that may have felt impossible a few years ago, a few weeks ago, a few moments ago, but I truly believe that he wants the impossible for you. And the impossible is that he can make you perfect in his sight. Oh, that's so good. The thing is, is a lot of times when we think about this whole jury, like like if we see God, we often see ourselves as the person who is accusing someone of hurting us, and we never think of the fact that we are the ones who do so much damage. And that when God looks upon us, we are the ones who are the defendants. We're not the prosecuting side, we're the defendants. And yet Jesus takes our place. And that is such good news, friends. And that leads me to my third point, that God does the heavy lifting in miracles. God does the heavy lifting in miracles. In uh, verse 5 in uh, chapter 21, Abraham was a hundo years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son for him in his old age? Here's the coolest thing, friends. Sarah's lack of faith did not exclude her from God using her to establish a great kingdom. 
Can I say it again? Sarah's lack of faith did not exclude her from God using her to establish a great kingdom. Oh my gosh, that's so good. That is such good news for me because I lack faith daily. And, and, I, and I have to believe that some of us do as well. Can you imagine being Abraham though too? Like let's even think about Abraham. Do you know when God talked to Abraham? Like when Abraham was 80, God said, hey, I'm going to give you a kid. And Abraham was like, oh, I'm 80. This is crazy. Like, oh my gosh, that's so good. Can you imagine when he was 81, like on his 81st birthday, like, hey, uh, you uh, gonna, you gonna do, how about 87? How about 95? Like, what do you think he was thinking at 95? Like, I mean, he met with God, so maybe his, his faith was stronger, but I, I think I would probably be like, did he forget? Like, did God kind of just forget about me? Like, I, I, I have to assume that maybe even his faith was not as strong as it was before. 20 years later, whatever Abraham's faith was about him having a son, he also received a son. And, and that may not seem as big a deal nowadays to some of us. I know some people have struggled with infertility, but in those days, uh, you, you wanted that heir in such a big way. What's interesting is that's happening even now in India and China, right? Like when you could choose a child. Um, the, it's interesting because uh, I, I just read something uh, this last week that said they have 70 million more men in China and India, and there's a crisis right now. Um, and it's because of this desire to have that man. I don't know what it is. It feels a little weird to me. I like girls better. Um, but that desire to have a man, to replace him, to continue what he was doing. And so, what I say to you is I say that we, we have to continue to grind. Do you guys know what that means? To keep grinding, to keep pounding the pavement, to wait on the Lord, to let him do the work. But I tell you, don't stop moving your feet. Let God do the work, but don't stop moving your feet. Like, like he can do something great without you, but it's better when he's with you. It's better when you get to be a part of it. So, um, uh, I still sort of like football, um, but not really. And um, in football, they have this thing where a running back, what he'll do is he'll run into a pile, okay? So running back, dude has the ball, starts running, and he just pushes his body towards the pile. Usually he has to get like half a yard to do this. And what happens is, is he hits the pile and he stops. Like he hits, you know, a thousand pounds of muscly and fat men, and he just stops right there, right? And, and what does he keep doing is he keeps moving his feet. Why does he keep moving his feet? Because he's got a thousand pounds of muscly and fat men coming behind him doing the pushing. And so he keeps his feet moving. And so in the same way, um, I think that we have to keep our feet moving, to keep grinding, but expect God and his, and his Holy Spirit to come behind us, and that's where the power comes from, right? Because there's no way that guy of 210 pounds is going to push that pile. But when he gets power behind him, that's when it happens. But it continues to work when he's moving his feet. If he stops his legs, he falls straight down. And so in many ways, God is encouraging you, even if you're in a tough place, even if you're struggling, even if you don't know what tomorrow brings, to keep moving your feet, to keep trusting him, to keep grinding, and then his power comes behind you and he does the work. Do you struggle? That's okay. Keep grinding. When I, um, when I went to Italy, I actually got to go uh, to Rome and uh, I'm sure some of you maybe have been, I don't know, but I got to go to um, the Sistine Chapel, 
which is not the Sixteen Chapel, just so you know. It's the Sistine Chapel. Do we have it in here? Is it? Yeah, okay. Um, go ahead and put it up. Um, I went to the Sistine Chapel, and oh my gosh, you guys actually like covered that up for me? Thanks. That's hilarious. I just figured it was art, whatever. Um, but uh, the Sistine Chapel is really weird because it's like the size of this room. I, I expected it to be so much bigger um, and then there's all these, like, police around, like, yelling at you for not taking, like, don't take pictures, and all of us are, like, taking pictures as soon as they turn their back. Um, but when I went to the Sistine Chapel, uh, I noticed something about this particular piece of art. Photoshop? <laughs> I noticed the Photoshop. Yes. For those who are just listening to the podcast, um, Adam's uh, covered up. So uh, I, that was added later. That was not... <laughs> so... But, but what I want to draw your attention to, um, it's funny because that almost draws the attention like, to it more, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I want to draw your attention to is um, look at God. Look at this uh, Eurocentric God that has been made to look exactly like Italians. Um, but what you'll see is you'll see how they're grasping onto him how they're holding him back. And look at this boy. Look at Adam. He's sitting back in what, I, to me, feels like a very disrespectful position. Um, a very, like, meh, whatever. Like, and and what, what I love about this is I feel like this is us more often than it's not, you guys. We look at God and we're like, hey, Lord, here's my Bible study. Hey, I'm going to go to church or something, I guess. Um, like, I guess I'll pray. Like, someone told me that I'm supposed to pray. So, you know, we kind of have this attitude about God. Like, sometimes, Lord, like, God is a, um, it's just, like, we just have to check him off our list. Meanwhile, oh, yeah, okay, that's beautiful. Meanwhile, um, God is being held back. God so desires to work in and through us. God so desires to bless us. God so desires our hearts that they are holding him back. Like, is that not beautiful? Like, the thing is, is that his faith is weak, and God is still pursuing him. Some of you may have weak faith like me, and God still pursues me. Some of you may have weak faith like a hundred-year-old mom. We don't know how old she is, actually, but um, you may have weak faith like her, and yet God pursues her. Then when Sarah even has, like, an, Sarah laughs at God, and he's like, cool, I'm still going to work because I love you. I'm still going to work because I need to be glorified. In Luke 17, 6, um, 5 through 6, the apostles said to Jesus, increase our faith. Jesus says, if you have faith the side of a mustard seed, you can say this to the mulberry tree. Be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. We know the same thing, right, for the mountain. You can throw the mountain into the sea. Jesus says that. Um, but if they have this tiny bit of faith, God is going to do something huge. And, and it's awesome even when you have no faith that God still sometimes does it anyway. Let me read to you Mark 9, 17 through 24. A lot of scripture today. Mark 9, 17 through 24. Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive him out, but they couldn't. Now, um, if you grew up with, if your son had that and you were in the ancient world, like how much hope did you have? 
Like, let's just be honest. Like, did you have, like, real legitimate hope that, you could, that he could be healed? Heck no. You were like, I'm going to deal with this the rest of my life. And some of us who have dealt with people with serious mental illness, like, sometimes we feel like there's just no hope. People who have serious addiction, we're like, there's just no hope. This is the ancient time, okay? And Jesus replied, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, and immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood. I hurt for this dad, right? Does anybody else hurt for him? And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Is he, does he say, I believe you can do this? He's like, if, if anyone could, maybe you might, maybe, I don't know. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Now, if I stopped there, I'd be like, well, crap, because you know what? There's times when I just don't believe. But we've seen here that, that Sarah didn't believe, and what did God do? He did a miracle. And then the dad says, I do believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. There are many of us who find ourselves in that place where we're like, God, I believe you, but it's like second by second belief. Like in 10 seconds, I might stop believing in you for a second. I might stop trusting you. But the good thing is, is that it's not dependent on us as much as we'd like to make it. And, and sometimes that's really scary, but you know what? The more you come to understand the character of God, how good is that? How good is it that it's not based on us? It's, it's based on his goodness, right? That is so good. Do you struggle to believe? Good, you fit in here. The things I believe God has called our church to seem impossible, but I believe they're right. And if they are right and God is with us, who could be against us? 2 Corinthians five sixteen through 21 says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded, uh, regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer thus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Guys, that was impossible. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That was impossible. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That was impossible. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Impossible that we might be reconciled to each other, Right? Look at the news. That's impossible. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We've been trusted with that message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Does something feel impossible to you today? Guess what? God's arm is not too short to save. I encourage you to try him. I encourage you to try him because he loves you and it's not necessarily dependent on your faith. Now we can pray and ask him for more faith, but try him and don't, don't be surprised if he works his wonders in our midst. God is good and he's asking you to try him. Would you pray with me? God, you do the impossible. And that is so awesome. And, and, and 
And we thank you so much, but we are not trusting human beings. Um, God, I trust my feet, and I trust my hands, and I trust my brain. And I, God, I know that those things are untrustworthy, that even those can fall apart, even those can dissipate. God, I ask that you would help us to trust you more. And God, even when we don't trust you, we ask that you would find it in your good graces to allow us to see miracles in our midst anyway. Because if we're honest, there's lots of times we don't trust you. So God, we believe, help our unbelief. And for those of you today who, um, who don't know Jesus, who have never trusted, uh, trusted him with your life, I ask you to surrender your life to him today. I ask you to, to believe and to ask him to help your unbelief. If that's you, there'll be a time when we can pray later, and I just encourage you to find someone and say, I, I, I have trusted Jesus with my life. God, would you find us in this intersection of our faith and our disbelief, and would you be glorified in it? God, thank you that you're present. I thank you that you love us. God, would you take our sins? Would you take our struggles? Those things that we have not trusted you with, would you take them, and would you be glorified in them? Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.